630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, this is quite a scoreline here in the bottom of the fourth baseball playoffs tonight. The L.A. Dodgers lead the Atlanta Braves 15-1. 15-1. Dodgers leading the Braves. Los Angeles took control early with 11 runs in the top of the first. That's right. It was 11-0 before Atlanta had even batted. It was 12-0 after two. The Dodgers got three more in the third, so that would have been 15-0 at that point. Atlanta got one back in the bottom of the third. L.A. did not score in their half of the fourth. If you're listening tonight and you'd like to pitch the rest of the game for the Braves, they'd probably let you. 15-1, Dodgers leading the Braves in the fourth inning. Another game coming up later on tonight, Rays and Astros, Tampa Bay up 3-0 in that series. Uh, by the way, Atlanta leading the series with the Dodgers, two games to nothing, so they will still have the series lead after that one. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight, Inside Sports on Oilers at EE Radio 630. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. Glad to have you along for the ride. We have a lot to get to tonight. I'm all happy to hear from you along the way. You can call or text 780-496-0063. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. And if you want to fire me an email and maybe have a story idea or a segment suggestion, we're always happy to get those as well. Inside sports at 630ched.com. So the Western Hockey League setting a date for a return. They announced it this afternoon, Friday, January 8th. So still almost three months away, Friday, January 8th. The target return date for the WHL, which of course includes your Edmonton Oil Kings, the Red Deer Rebels as well. So the way that they are planning on doing it is that the teams will play only within uh, the provincial boundaries, basically. So Saskatchewan and Manitoba teams would stick together. The five Alberta-based teams would stick together. The BC division has five teams. They would stick together. And uh, the U.S. division would stick together. So it's, it's more or less along divisional lines but you would not play outside of your division. So if you're the Oil Kings, you're playing Red Deer, you're playing Calgary, you're playing Lethbridge, and you're playing Medicine Hat over and over again. Not sure how many times each. We're going to have Kurt Hill on the show in a few minutes. He's the GM and president of hockey operations for the Oil Kings. Maybe he'll shed some more light on that, or maybe there are still some things to figure out. But this is what the Western Hockey League is uh, announcing today. Uh, And I'll, I'll read straight from the press release here. A final determination has not yet been made as to whether spectators will be permitted to attend WHL games, as this will be subject to the approval of the health authorities in each jurisdiction. I I can, I think I feel pretty safe in speculating that uh, they are hoping that by, you know, waiting another three months here, that uh, they will be able to have spectators in the building. So there you go. And we'll, we'll get some perspective from Kurt Hill and uh, maybe see if he can shed some more light on this. He's coming up in about uh, six or seven minutes here in inside sports. So that's significant for the Western hockey league setting a date and hopefully things will progress that they can get going. Also, I want to get to a very interesting cut here. And this is from Bill Foley, who's the owner of the Vegas Golden Knights. He was on radio today with Brian Blessing, the Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian's on this show several times a year to talk about the Golden Knights and other stories. Now, Bill Foley, you got to remember who's saying this here, the owner of a National Hockey League team, 
He's talking about a Canadian division. He's talking about a possible start date for next season. I don't, I don't think you're going to, I don't think that border's going to be open before January 1st. It was open January 1st. I really don't. Because uh, Canada's going through, they've got spikes going on and they're, they're starting to lock down again. I think they're going to play the Canadian division. I don't think they're going to be crossing the border. Well, who knows who's going to be playing? If you're not playing in front of fans, I don't know how a lot of teams can make it, including us. It's going to be very difficult. You've got to put a, you know, make a serious uh, financial commitment to fund the team if uh, we're not playing in front of fans. I, do, I believe Gary Bevan is not going to be having his fly all around and play in empty arenas. It's, there's going to be another plan. And we'll see. I don't, and he's talking about January 1st. I don't know. Maybe February 1st. Maybe an abbreviated season and an accelerated season. It's, it's one reason why I was really in favor of keeping both goalies. I really felt like we're going to be playing four games and seven nights every week. It's going to be back-to-back almost every week. All right, so that's Bill Foley, owner of the Vegas Golden Knights. Some of the things he hit on, just to recap, talking about a Canadian division, border being closed. And now, uh, to me, this is this is significant that you have the owner of a team saying this. A, a lot of this has been speculated on, but I think that the, the fact that the owner of an NHL team is coming out and saying this would indicate that it's being discussed at, at very high levels. And now I think we can really lean towards what are the things you're seeing. Um, they need fans. And he said, Gary Bettman won't have us flying around and playing in empty arenas. Maybe there's another solution. Well, I don't think they're going to be bubbles because the NHL Players Association really didn't. Uh, I mean, they got through the bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton because of the playoffs. And I think they were hoping it was a one-off. We know that the NHLPA does not want bubbles again. And the owners, as Bill Foley was saying, want fans. Is that going to be possible by the time we get to February 1st? Maybe. And that's what he said. January 1st is the new target date for the NHL. I still think that's going to be tough. I, I think February 1st is much more likely. Maybe January 15th at the earliest. I think if you look at starting on January 1st, you know, that's Christmas is right there. So what are you going to bring guys in for, for training camp starting on December 18th? They, they work for five days, then they get three days off for Christmas and then they got to come back and cram in maybe a couple of exhibition games and get the season going. I think it's more likely we're looking at a February start to the national hockey league season. And he said, it. we know it's going to be an abbreviated season, I've seen 48 games. I've seen 60. Uh, Elliot Freeman wrote today about maybe 56. So we're looking at between 48 and 60. And as Bill Foley said, an accelerated season. And I think, as he said, we could very well see teams playing four games a week most of the time, maybe going to a city. I mean, if you look from a purely Oilers perspective, let's say there's a, a Canadian division. You could see the Oilers uh, go to Vancouver, play Monday and Wednesday against the Canucks, go to Calgary, play Friday and Saturday, come home, have the Jets at Rogers Place Tuesday and Wednesday, and then maybe the Leafs are at Rogers Place uh, Friday and Saturday. And that's how the schedule proceeds. So these are all things that we've speculated on, but again, we have the owner of a team coming out and seeing them. So clearly they're being discussed at the highest levels. We could very well see a Canadian division. And as Gary Bettman has pointed out, how they start the season isn't necessarily how, how they're going to finish it. And to me, that's really interesting. Whenever the NHL announces a start date and puts out a schedule, they might not put out the schedule for the entire season. 
They might say, we're starting February 1st and we're going to play 56 games. Here's the schedule for the first, I don't know, 28 games, just to pick a number that's halfway. And the first half of the season, Canadian teams are staying in Canada. You know, the California teams are going to be bundled with Vegas, Arizona, and Colorado. And then these teams are all going to play each other and they'll proceed from there. But I really think that's a possibility that we go into the next year with a number of games that they're going to play, but not a schedule for all those games because they're going to be hopeful maybe that there's more travel and more fans allowed into the building as they go. So that was a significant clip there from uh, Bill Foley. And uh, yeah, not the greatest audio quality, but hopefully you got the summary from it. All right, it is quarter after six. The WHL hoping to come back on January 8th. Kurt Hill, Oil Kings GM, when we get back. Kara, who used to play in the Western Hockey League, and the Western Hockey League is aiming to come back on Friday, January 8th. For further discussion, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show President of Hockey Operations, General Manager of the Edmonton Oil Kings, it is Kurt Hill. Kurt, you're on with Reed. Thanks for checking in tonight. I know it's a little bit of short notice with the announcement made this afternoon, but how have things been? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Yeah, I think it's uh, things seem to be be moving along a little bit. I know minor hockey's getting going here in, in Edmonton tonight with uh, U18s and U15s. I think it's interesting figuring out what rinks you're actually going to get into and not get into. But uh, just another caveat for us to figure out here uh, early in uh, in um, October here. Yeah, a lot of adjustments for sure. A lot of people in a lot of different industries have, have had to do that and figure out how to do their jobs in different ways. And, of, of course, uh, you guys with the Oil Kings are, are no different. Look, um, I'll, I'll fire you a few questions here about the announcement today. I, I know maybe some things are still up in the air, but I, I think even for those, it's important to get some perspective. The January 8th date, is there something you can tell us here about how that was arrived at, why the, the dub thinks that's going to be good timing? Yeah, you know, I think just with where things are at right now with the six jurisdictions, it was, uh, you know, the league wanted to to move it down the road a little bit, and but narrow the goalposts on it a little bit too, where there there needs to be a date and a start date in mind with, you know, with the holiday season coming up as well, and you know the amount of things that still need to be accomplished with the governments and ensuring that our players are are entering a safe environment, and you know that's one of the biggest things to make sure that when they come here, it's. Uh, with where COVID is right now, that the environment's a safe one for them when all 22 markets across the league. So, um, you know, what, what still needs to be accomplished today, uh, I think it was so with the governors that um, moving it into uh, to, to January 18th was the right move at this time. Okay. Uh, obviously, uh, 72 games used to be the number in the WHL. I think you were at 68 the last couple of years. Has there been any talk about the number of games played that you'd want to shoot for? You know, there's been some brief discussions on that. I think really the focus right now is a lot of, you know, it's, a lot of it's going to come down to what the health jurisdictions are going to allow. And, uh, you know, we don't know the answer to that question right now. I think that's something that's being worked on here every day with uh, with each local jurisdiction. I know us Alberta teams here are working with, obviously, Alberta to to see what, uh, what number that will land at here. But, 
yeah, very fluid situation. So, you know, some of these answers, I know, you know, from a team perspective, we'd love to be have nailed down and really start some planning on that. But, uh, you know, there's still a lot to accomplish with the government and, and you know, uh, number one right now being health and safety. But, uh, yeah, really going to depend where, where those conversations lead to the amount of games for sure. Right. And I, and I assume, you know, if you're staying in Alberta, probably – Again, I know we're kind of speculating, but the possibility of some doubleheaders, if you go to Lethbridge, it's not for one game. Maybe you're there for a weekend, three and four nights, something like that. Yeah, you know, I think that's, I, I think the teams, you know, in conversations that that have happened there, you know, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be willing to work together as much as possible to make, to make everything happen for these players. You know, at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to be, you know, in, in normal times where you want to be playing at be playing at home on a Friday night and then Lethbridge wants you to come play there on Saturday night because it's a long bus ride and maybe they get you a little bit tired. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of those scenarios in play. You know, I think everyone's going to work together to do, to do what's best, um, obviously from a health perspective and, um, you know, what's best for the player at the end of the day. Okay. Kurt Hill joining us tonight on Inside Sports, GM of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, big story this afternoon, WHL shooting for a January 8th return to play. And for the Oil Kings, they would stay and, and just play all their games uh, uh, in Alberta. You, you talked about the, the minor hockey starting. How was how was player recruiting affected? I mean, it must have been thrown so off kilter with everything over the summer and stuff ending earlier last year. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, it was, there a lot of things were affected from that standpoint. You know, we had, you know, we had planned to have a lot of, you know, U.S. players that are were on our list, um, you know, to come in here and and see, uh, you know, an Oil Kings game at the end of the season, potentially in the playoffs, and and you know, have that recruitment opportunity. But with everything getting shut down, and over the course of the summer, obviously no travel being allowed, it, uh, you know, for those American kids, it, it definitely changed. We didn't have that opportunity to have a rookie camp and even a main camp to evaluate some list players and evaluate, you know, free agents that we had planned to potentially invite. So, you know, it, uh, it made, it made things difficult in that sense. So you, teams had to get creative and do a lot of things virtually, which uh, we did. We held virtual training camps. We held virtual development sessions for our new draft picks. And, uh, you know, our first overall pick from, from last year is playing up here at NAX, um, academy so we've had the opportunity to see him a little bit but obviously with things opening up a little bit more at times here over the summer we've seen some of our other canadian prospects but um definitely not getting as many touch points as as you're used to and uh definitely an opportunity where teams have to sit back and get creative on how you're going to deliver what your organization has to offer Kurt, I want to just ask you about a couple members of your organization, and it's been a while since we've we've had you on the show. And, and of course, Brad Lauer was named Coach of the Year, a, a guy you hired as uh, uh, as head coach, and obviously he's uh, well, he's been simply you know not to take anything away from you and all the players, but Brad's been outstanding. Yeah, no, he's done a fantastic job, and you know I know our our entire coaching staff, uh, even through this pause of. You know they've been working hard. They've been keeping our players engaged, and uh, and you know at the end of the day, the amount of work that those guys those guys put in on a day to day is tremendous. And you know the Brad, yeah, there's no there's no exceptions that Brad's done done a fantastic job with the team. And uh, you know it's um, it's a commendment to him himself and uh, the entire support staff around him for sure. 
And I had a young man by the name of Jake Neighbors on the show twice this month, once before the draft and once after. He was thrilled to go into the first round to uh, St. Louis. Just tell us about what you've seen from Jake and his development over the last couple of years. And obviously you're thrilled to see him get picked that high too. Yeah, no, I think obviously thrilled for, for Jake, great for the organization. Uh, you know, really happy for Jake where I think the team that, that selected him really suits his style of play. You know, I think I think he's going to have a clear idea of what uh, they expect from him to, to be, you know, make the step to the NHL at some point. And, you know, I think that's a really good fit for him. And, uh, you know, from his standpoint with us, I mean, he's a, he, he's a true veteran in the league and he's only been in the league for two years. I mean, the, the moment he started playing at 16, he had a little, he had a little bit of a slow start there year but man he was probably one of our best players in the playoffs at, at 16 years old and you know you knew there was something special there and you know he's a guy that's definitely a big leader in our room and you know he just seems to be getting better and better and he's completely committed to the game and really um is a huge part of our team so really happy for him and uh, happy for the organization at the same time too all right kurt thanks for talking about this uh, obviously an important story to follow so hopefully we continue progressing towards whl hockey on january 8th i know there's a lot going on for you today so thanks for hopping on inside sports we'll talk down the road man appreciate that Ray. thanks for having me that is kurt hill gm of the edmonton oil kings so keep it in mind january 8th possible return for the whl we're back after the news Appreciate you tuning in tonight. We're uh, keeping an eye on that baseball game. And if you're a fan of the Atlanta Braves, uh, you, uh, you you probably stopped watching a while ago, like maybe halfway through the first inning. It's now the uh, top of the six. It's 15-1 for the Dodgers. They got 11 runs in the first inning. So uh, it looks very much like Atlanta will have its series lead cut to two games to one. Rays and Astros coming up in a few minutes. Tampa Bay will try to finish off that series. 780-496-0063 to call or text. Again, the uh, Western Hockey League shooting for January 8th to return. We just had Kurt Hill on the show, the GM of the Oil Kings, so he gave some perspective there. The Oil Kings would just play all of their games within Alberta. Uh, Don't know how many games, as Kurt mentioned, probably double header maybe even triple header scenarios so if you go to lethbridge maybe you're there for a weekend play thursday saturday sunday friday saturday monday something like that and uh, brendan gallagher after it looked like it had broken down with the montreal Canadiens, signs a big deal with the team and uh, we'll have more out of montreal with eric angles coming up later on in the show uh the big l texting and he says reed can you imagine an exclusively nhl canadian season with uh, Quebec, Ontario, and Alberta spiking in positive tests and then south of the border with all their crazy COVID numbers and bizarre political situation could be a serious threat to any kind of shared season or playoff format. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's uh, kind of the worst-case scenario format put out there by the Big L, who's usually extremely upbeat and and often hilarious. (laughs) Big L... I mean, I don't know what to say. There, there's so much that could happen. There's so much that's unknown. The NHL pulled off the bubbles. 
they really want a season. I mean, Gary Bedman has he said the preference is a full season with full playoffs. They're not getting a full 82-game season. But they want to do the full playoffs, and I think they're hoping that they're going to wait as long as they can, have as many fans in each building as they can, and then maybe things improve as the season progresses. I, I think that's what the NHL is uh, is shooting for. But we'll discuss that and a few other things with uh, with my next guest, who uh, asked a very astute question to a new Vancouver Canuck a couple of days ago. Nate, excuse me, I want to go a little bit off the board um, with the way you play and take fourth man's ice and use your feet. It seems when you're open, you do like a battle cry, like a whoop. And I just wanted to ask you about why you use that when you're open um, all around. That is awesome. I didn't think anyone ever picked that up. How did you, I, mean, I don't know if your mic is still on. I don't know. How did you find that? That's pretty good. Um, yes. All right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nate Schmidt. And uh, I've been thinking about using this all day. It's time to go drancing. With Tom and Strance from the Athletic Vancouver. Yeah, I, I figure you'd either be really mad about that or you'd laugh. I'm glad you laughed. Oh, no, I love it. I, every now and then I fall into a drance pun wormhole where people just, you know, drance, drance revolution, drancing queen, on and on. So, um, you know, all good fun. That's the benefit of having like a really catchy one syllable last name, uh, which of course is good for branding, just as it is that I spent, you know, 65 games watching hockey at rogers place in edmonton with no fans in the building so i could pick up weird things like nate schmidt yelling Whoop! whenever he's open um, <laughs> i'm glad he had a good chuckle about it and it turns out he got it from justin williams justin williams used to do it it was a way of indicating that it was him doing it because if you just use a guy's hockey nickname right if you're just going you know schmitty schmitty uh, it could be anybody. If you're whooping, um, it's pretty clear there's only one guy who kind of does that. That's Schmidt's logic for doing it. I was glad to get to the bottom of it. I'm sure it's not the last time that my Edmonton experience or sojourn, as it were, uh, will pay <laughs> off in amusing a player. <laughs> well, that's that's great. Thomas Dredd's joining us from the Athletic Vancouver. That was a great question. I, I like when you look for outside-of-the-box questions like that. And, and you were on the show a few weeks ago. And you had been in the bubble, and we talked about the the, the column you did uh, about all the the okay, I forgot what it was called now, but all the the bubble language and what did you call it again? Bubble adjacent. Yeah, <laughs> and the for uh, a secure zone. Yes, but but the um, when you had all the all the phrases, you were transcribing all the dirty stuff oh, you heard and everything. Oh, the game of chirps. Right, the game of chirps, right? I, should, I blanked on what it was called. So you got that. You got the whooping from watching the games in the empty arena. What what else struck you about things you hear or how players might interact with each other, opponents or officials? Did anything else kind of make you go, oh wow? Like I never would have thought I would have heard that. Yeah, I think honestly, probably my biggest takeaway, to be totally honest with you, is that if players had their druthers and called the game offsides would be blown about 8 million times a contest and every single line change results in a too many men on the ice penalty right like too many too many comes just about every time there's anything less than a change that's you know <laughs> if a change isn't clean enough to eat off of a player is calling for a too many men on the ice penalty from the opposing bench and every even reasonably close play at the line. Uh, off, off, offside. 
Um, also, every single puck that goes the length of the ice, 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 whether or not it's close to being icing or not. Like, I swear, if players called their own games, you'd have about 80 million whistles every single 60-minute contest. It would render the hockey unwatchable. I don't think I realized quite how much the refs are worked at all moments of the game uh, until I got an opportunity to watch games without fans. But it is truly relentless, and I have a whole new respect for how uh, NHL officials sort of have to you know, restrain themselves from being influenced by <laughs> the calls that are coming ad nauseum from both benches at all moments of any NHL game. How uh, sorry? How many days were you in Edmonton? About did you say about seventy? Uh, I was in the I was in Edmonton for sixty four days in total, and I saw sixty five games. Um, although I saw the sixty five games over sixty days, so uh, it was a haul, and it was a totally remarkable experience. Just in terms of you know, you'll never get a chance to see that much high leverage NHL playoff hockey in that short a time frame live uh, and in an empty building. Um, you know, really did sort of alter my perspective on a lot of teams in the Western Conference, even though there are some teams, and, and you know, I just mentioned the Edmonton Oilers as sort of uh, being patient zero of this, where you wouldn't want to read too much into what you saw in the bubble, just because I don't think, like, the, the Oilers I saw in the bubble were not the disciplined, structured, Dave Tippett team that I saw in February and January. Uh, in October, right? So you wouldn't want to read too much into a small sample necessarily, but um, certainly the teams that I got to see play more, uh, teams like Vegas, players like Nate Schmidt, uh, I think I do have a totally different perspective on them as teams and as players based on just the high volume of repetitive viewing that I was able to witness. But before we get into Schmidt, have you ever had, like, what's the longest you were assigned somewhere? I don't know if you ever covered an Olympics or a world championship or, or some amateur event. No. I mean, certainly not 64 days. No, I've, uh, you know, I prob- as a reporter, I think my longest assignment has, has probably been a playoff series or two, right? Which would be max 14 days. So this was definitely a whole new experience. Although I would say having worked as a PR guy with the Florida Panthers, and I used to do my 82-game badge traveling with the team constantly. I mean, that's an assignment that feels like it lasts seven months. Uh, but even then, you at least get like a Sunday off here and there, right? Like this was really right. like, There was just no real days off. I think I took four the entire tournament. So um, it, was, uh, it was a pretty wild experience, especially those three-day games. Uh, three-day game days where I just show up at the rink at 11 and leave at 1 a.m. Those were pretty intense. Thomas Drance joining us, covers the Vancouver Canucks for The Athletic. Okay, so Nate Schmidt, look, we know that the Golden Knights needed to clear up some room for Petrangelo, but man, like a third rounder? I mean, that's, I I remember like Rob Brown texted me. He's like, how does Vegas, even if they want Petrangelo, how do they trade their best defenseman and that's uh, that's all they get. Like, tell me how the Canucks were able to, to to pull this off. Like, you think something more than that would have gone the other way? I don't know. To be totally honest with you, I still don't know. I've been making calls on this all day. I'm writing a column on this tomorrow. But the the, the Nate Schmidt thing is wild to me because, and this is just a taste of how insane the marketplace is at the moment. Like, we live in this you know, post or not post, current like pandemic ravaged flat cap environment for NHL teams. And the market right now, you know, Taylor Hall one year times eight million. Like there are things being done that we've almost never seen before. Like the closest analogy I can think of 
to Taylor Hall signing in Buffalo on a one-year deal was Marion Hosa signing that one-year deal that he signed when he when he changed teams between the Penguins and the Detroit Red Wings that one year, right? And even then, it was to chase a cup. It wasn't because that's all the market would bear. Uh, we've just never seen teams have to make decisions for the reasons that they're making decisions over the past five, six days since the market opened. And the Schmidt thing is interesting because I've talked to a variety of like senior NHL team executives whose take on the Schmidt trade is the Canucks should have got something. Like the Canucks should have got a sweetener for taking on the full freight of Schmidt's deal. And there are other senior executives that I've talked to who wonder why Schmidt wasn't auctioned around the league, that there were other teams that would have been very happy to bid on him and certainly would have at least matched the Vancouver offer and maybe done better um, if Schmidt had been more widely offered. As it turns out, it seems like the Canucks actually were pretty confident that they had Schmidt in hand um, you know, as late as Friday night, as early as Saturday morning for sure. And we're just kind of waiting on the Pietrangelo, you know, domino to fall to enable them to shake loose. And and it seems like they were pretty confident. Now, I don't quite understand why Vegas wouldn't have held an auction and, and sort of tested the market a little bit more. Perhaps once they had, you know, the bird in hand with Vancouver, they felt like relationship owed uh, them to have that first dibs or, or something like that, although that wouldn't sort of square with everything else we know about Vegas's usual operating procedure. So just a strange sort of set of um, set of events and, and a wild market valuation where, you know, some teams would have really viewed Schmidt as like a means to an end in terms of netting additional assets. And some teams would have viewed him as, you know, dynamic top four defender that he has been certainly since he arrived in Vegas and, and started to play a number one role for that team. So just a really tough sort of market to grasp for the player and really difficult to understand Vegas's approach in dealing him. Although clearly in terms of the outcome, like I don't think anyone in the league would think twice if presented with the idea that you trade Nate Schmidt in the third round pick and get a Hutsby a Trangelo. So you know, perhaps it's that simple, but certainly there's a lot of sort of questions that I have just about the whole process. And I do think the disparate valuations by various teams around the league speaks to just what a strange moment the NHL is in as a business right now. All right. Goaltending. Markstrom left. He goes to Calgary. Sounds like the Oilers were, were hanging in there. And then obviously they bring in Holtby, which means, you know, he can still play quite a bit and maybe Demko uh, gets more looks than he did this past season. Were the Canucks ever realistically going to hang on to Markstrom as you look back on how things went? Or was he, did, did, did it kind of seem like he was headed to Alberta, either north or south all along? I think, I think by the time they got to the 11th hour, it was pretty clear that they weren't in the same stratosphere as, you know, the rumored max term offer coming from Edmonton or the six times six with a full NMC and signing bonuses over the last two years, the contract that guarantee 80% of the salary effectively from Markstrom's perspective that Calgary ultimately signed him to. I don't think the Canucks got close to that level um, in terms of their final offers to him. And, you know, I think the logic of this negotiation was always that it would go down to the wire and always that the Canucks probably needed to be in the same basic area uh, as the other teams so that some of the advantages that they felt they had, uh, Markstrom's relationship with his teammates, with his goalie coach Ian Clark, with Travis Green, the Canucks head coach, 
uh, and with the city of Vancouver itself would have mattered, would have sort of come to bear and influenced his final decision. Ultimately, I don't think the deals were in the same you know, room, <laughs> much less the same realm. So uh, those factors didn't matter as much as you know, the love that the Albertan team showed him in terms of the you know, term, treasure, and protections uh, that were involved in the deals that Markstrom ultimately considered, I think, as his final decision. Um, I don't think Vancouver was in the mix, and, and I, I do think by the end of it, they'd been informed that they weren't likely to be in the mix uh, even before the market opened. Okay. Thomas, before I let you go, in the first half hour of the show, I, I had a clip from Bill Foley, who owns the Golden Knights. He was on with Brian Blessing on the Vegas Hockey Hotline. And he spoke about some things that guys like you and me have speculated on and talked to other people about, but usually they tell you, you know, you didn't get this from me or I'm hearing that. But the owner of an NHL team came out and said, you know, if the border's closed, we're probably looking at a Canadian division. We might not be back until February 1st, and then we know it's going to be an abbreviated and an accelerated season. I, I mean, I, I think that's pretty significant that he came out and said that. And even though it's things we kind of knew, I'm thinking, okay, if an NHL owner says that, in my mind, Thomas, like it's it's clearly being discussed. So, I mean, who knows? Like we could have – the Canucks and Oilers could play each other eight to ten times. I mean, it could, it could happen, right, if it's the Canadian division. Yeah, let's go. Like that sounds great. <laughs> Sign me up, first of all. Uh, you know, the idea of a provisional all-Canadian division, like, can you imagine? Um, first of all, so so there's a lot that I want to unpack here, but the thing that stands out to me is really when you look across Canada in terms of team quality, like maybe you'd give Calgary and Toronto a slight leg up over Vancouver, Edmonton, Winnipeg, um, and Montreal, uh, and then Ottawa, of course, being sort of the trailer, but... Not by a lot, right? Like any one of those six teams could potentially win the division. And can you imagine the stakes if there was like a close race to be crowned the number one team in Canada in the <laughs> only year that we'll ever see an all-Canadian division? Like, can you imagine how crazy that would be? Or uh, Say Edmonton and Calgary are separated by four points and are playing, uh, you know, three games in a row against one another, right? Like that would be nuts. It would be just completely insane. The second thing is I do hope that if they do this, go to like baseball style schedules so that it's not just that you know vancouver and edmonton or or edmonton and calgary or vancouver and calgary play one another six times for example over the course of the season like old school northwest division style but play those games consecutively like 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 i i just think it would be great if all of a sudden it's march 2021 and for some reason just because of the vagaries of you know pandemic professional sports entertainment management we have like battle of alberta month um like sign me up for that too i want i want home and homes i want extended series uh between two teams i think it'd be great for consumers and i think it'd be great as a television product uh which in a world where you know attendance is likely to be limited uh if it's (laughs) possible at all um in terms of you know gate revenue and fans in the buildings a made-for-TV product along those lines just strikes me as something that makes a ton of sense for the business in the interim as we look to, you know, navigate our way fitfully to the other side of, you know, this COVID-19 world. Yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be something, yeah, I mean, it won't be ideal, I suppose, in some ways, but it turn out, could turn out to be pretty fun if, like you said, we do have extended series and a lot of Canadian oh. rivalries going on. Yeah. Let's go. 
<laughs> Thomas, you're the best, man. I love having you on the show. Thanks for being so generous with your time. Really appreciate your perspective. Uh, yeah, I think the, the three teams out west here are going to be really interesting to watch and the rivalries building. Thanks for checking in tonight. Uh, likewise, man. Thanks for having me, Reed. Cheers. Thomas Drantz from the Athletic Vancouver. So we talked about his work in the, uh, in the bubble. Is a couple big changes for the Canucks uh, along the way here through free agency. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, if there is an all-Canadian division, it's going to make some already heated rivalries even hotter along the way. It is 651-780-496-0063 is how you can get in touch. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Uncertainty surrounding Oscar Clefbaum. Will he have surgery? If not, how long will he be out? Oilers general manager Ken Holland has said on a couple of occasions he does not expect to have Clefbaum for at least part of next season. And we know that that may not begin until February 1st. That's going to be uh, an ongoing story here for the Edmonton Oilers. All right, Brendan Gallagher, six-year extension with the Canadians, $39 million. I had, uh, had a buddy text me this afternoon saying, is that what it's going to wind up being for Ryan Nugent Hopkins whenever he signs? Keep that number in mind for sure. What's going on with the U of A Golden Bears? Usually they're already a few weeks into their season. They are waiting, hoping to play when the calendar flips to 2021. Ian Herbers, their head coach, when we get back to Inside Sports. Thanks a lot for checking in tonight. Six thirty, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.